Good morning. My name is Karen Talanella-Cusick, Executive Vice President at Impact Wave, and welcome to the latest in our Impact Wave podcast series. I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest, Charles Bohm. Charles is a writer, editor, communications professional, analyzing and reporting on all levels of soccer in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome, Charles. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Before we get started on talking about this particular World Cup, can you uh, perhaps quickly just explain what the World Cup is and why it's such a special event celebrated around the world? Yes. Uh, well, and, and I, I should probably start by noting, you know, in the modern era, um, it's become a little more common to call this the Men's World Cup uh, because uh, we now we now can and should distinguish um, this tournament that's happening starting in a few a few short days in Qatar is the uh, largest soccer event in the world, quadrennial tournament to decide uh, the world champion of international soccer or football. Uh, the women's version happens in a year's time, or actually. It, it's always a year after the men's, uh, but in this case, it's a little less than a year's time uh, because that's happening next summer in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so this is uh, this is the biggest event in the world's biggest and most popular sport, and it inspires incredible levels of passion. Uh, and we now have um, uh, going on 100 years of tradition around the event. So um, very beloved uh, occasion that um, much of the world, increasingly including the United States, slows down and uh, pays attention to uh, in pretty much every country on earth. That's great. You, you're right. You could feel it in the streets now. And that wasn't always the case in the U.S. And thank you for, the, for that distinction. Um, there's been a lot of mixed emotions surrounding this particular upcoming World Cup. Um, what are some of the, um, why are some of the people against the competition being held in Qatar? Well, yeah, the, 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 it's probably easy to, to, to simply look at the calendar and note that we're already in unprecedented territory with the 2022 edition of the FIFA World Cup because it's happening outside of the Northern Hemisphere summer for the first time ever. And that is the first clue as to how different things are and, and what a complex and contentious backstory accompanies this tournament. So this event is happening in, in Qatar, a small Gulf state about the size uh, in land area of Connecticut, and uh, now 12 years ago, FIFA awarded this tournament to Qatar under, um, well, yeah, putting it mildly to, to call them contentious circumstances. Um, this was uh, an event that was widely expected to be awarded to either the United States and, or, and or a combined uh, North American bid or Australia. Those were the two big contenders vying for hosting rights. But FIFA uh, zigged where everyone thought they would zag and awarded it to the smallest country that's ever hosted the event, the first uh, Arab country that's ever hosted the event, the first Middle Eastern nation that's ever hosted the event. And their explanation was that, that they wanted to do something unprecedented and create uh, you know, sort of a, a, a new legacy for the region and beyond. Um, but as it turns out, multiple, multiple media reports in multiple different countries, uh, as well as the United States Justice Department's uh, extensive investigations have revealed that um, we are as sure as we can be short of a smoking gun that this event was awarded under corrupt um, circumstances in which uh, voters in FIFA's Congress were awarded, uh, were, were given millions of dollars and various other sort of soft influence campaigns. Um, the uh, Qatar is a, a petroleum rich nation that from as well as we can tell 
um, spread out is, is spending. We know that above board they're spending some, somewhere north of $220 billion on the overall event itself with physical infrastructure and construction. And it seems that they've spent many millions beyond that uh, to to buy the, the votes and gain the influence. And uh, again, I don't want to sound like I'm... Um, uh, uh, slandering anyone, but we have uh, a lot, a lot of evidence points to that, and we have people who were in those rooms that have, that have, uh, you know, spoken out about what they witnessed. But none of it changed. Uh, uh, FIFA remained determined to do this. Um, multiple incidents uh, of corruption were not, uh, didn't lead to any change in, in, in the decision. And then subsequently, after they won the, the hosting rights. Um, they initially had said that they would create air conditioning technology to now allow this event to happen in midsummer, uh, despite temperatures you know that can run up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. That also proved to not necessarily be uh, be everything that it was cracked up to be. And so, a few years after the, the tournament was awarded, the event was shifted to November and December for cooler temperatures, which has caused a whole other set of cascading uh, consequences relating to media rights, um, schedule adjustments to, to you know dozens of leagues around the world to sort of shoehorn this event into what is normally uh, the heart of the club season in, in soccer. So uh, it's uh, very controversial to say the least. Yeah, it seems so on so many levels. Um, perhaps looking on the other side with that being said, there are positives that hopefully can come out of the World Cup for the game for Qatar and the Middle East as a whole. What do you think might be some of the benefits that this World Cup could potentially deliver? Yes, the uh, and again, there's you know there's a lively conversation, I guess, or discourse happening in various areas um, from social media to you know news coverage uh, to you know fan discussions and beyond, and it effectively effectively, you know, sort of boils down to this idea that um, if soccer is to be shared beyond its traditional power centers, beyond its economic power center, which is which is the core of Europe, um, beyond its traditional sort of areas of strength and and geographic regions that, that get to host these types of events, which is dominated by Europe and South America, then you will inevitably um, go into new places that have different standards um, different ways of thinking and doing things, and that uh, accepting that there will be there will be disagreement and, and there will be controversy around that. Um, Qatar is uh, has a master plan that the World Cup is is sort of sits at the heart of, which is that they feel that they uh, have a ticking clock um, on their petroleum wealth, and that um, the World Cup and other events like it. Um, is a is a key opportunity for them to create um, an economy that is more diverse, to create a standing and a place in the world and a perception in the wider world that will allow them to to still prosper um, after their mineral and petroleum wealth is tapped out. And so they you know they want this to to put them on the map in so many different ways. And um, it is certainly um, a great example of a, a region that is just as passionate about the world's game as, as anyone else, but has not necessarily always gotten to, uh, to share in it to the extent as those power centers uh, I, I referenced. And, um, and, and to get more into the specifics, uh, the other controversies of, of Qatar, we're talking about a, a country that relies heavily on, uh, on foreign workers. Something like 80% of the population 
uh, is from an, uh, is from other countries has been brought in to physically build all the infrastructure and, and bring Qatar forward. Um, and th they're an even larger percentage of the workforce. And these are um, typically men from the Asian subcontinent, from Southeast Asia, from uh, from Sub-Saharan Africa, as well as there's also uh, domestic workers from places like the Philippines. And this is not the only goal state where this is the case, uh, but in Qatar it's become uh, heavily scrutinized because um, in the years following the awarding of this tournament, um, people spent more attention or paid more attention to um, the various elements of the uh, of this of this economic system, starting with the kafala system, which is this idea of sort of economic patronage, where these workers are brought in um, and they are effectively sort of uh, their their employers, their patron who um, controls whether or not where the, whether or not they can move freely about the country and in and out of the country. They traditionally would hold their passport and so limit the move the mobility of these workers and these workers in one of the richest places per capita on earth were making uh, well below uh, what we in the United States and, and North America would consider a, you know, an acceptable living wage uh, or minimum wage. And so over the years um, since the tournament was awarded, a number of international labor organizations and advocacy organizations have, um, have pressured Qatar to change their policies, change their systems, take better care of these workers, many of whom were living in, in really squalid conditions. Um, while they worked 12-hour days, six to seven days a week in difficult jobs. And the, the construction jobs were particularly punishing in the, the desert heat and, and high rates of death. Now, the specific uh, details of those rates of death are another element that has sort of been cussed and discussed because it's very difficult to pin down how many of these foreign workers uh, have been made sick or, or killed by uh, World Cup infrastructure projects or World Cup adjacent projects. And so Qatar has opened up its uh, system and changed a lot of the laws on paper and has received praise from the, many of these international bodies. The question, though, is in the enforcement, the day-to-day -day reality of these workers. And many journalists uh, from around the world have reported on this and will continue to report on it um, as the tournament uh, opens up. But there are others who feel that um, Qatar's record is not particularly any more damning than even the United States, uh, who will uh, co-host the 2026 edition of the World Cup, you know how uh, how just what a, what a glass house do we live in? For example, what what right do we have to criticize uh, this nation who's going about uh, its economic development in its own way, uh, in the way that its traditions uh, you know guide them to see fit? So, a uh, multi-layered discussion, to say the least. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That goes beyond the discussion of just the World Cup, but you're right, and one that would continue far beyond it. Um, we have this massive event that has these controversial elements, but will de deliver you know, positive aspects as well. And how do you re reconcile that there's a really strong gray area to this particular World Cup? And the fact that despite all the controversy, we're still talking about it, the games are going to be played, um, it's going to be covered by the media, um, fans all over the world will come out and to support their teams and watch every game. Yes, I mean the from what we know, uh, many of the official broadcasters, in the case of the United States, Fox has the the broadcasting rights, and their approach to this and and many other comparable issues is uh, we are going to focus on the soccer and not sort of delve into this murky gray area uh, because gray areas tend to make people uncomfortable, right? Uh, 
Absolutely. And uh, and I think you'll see other uh, other entities will do that as well. Um, uh, NBC Telemundo owns the Spanish language rights in the United States, and so um, it's possible that they will acknowledge some of these topics, but they may not. They may simply focus on on what's happening on the field, and that in of itself uh, is a choice. You know, has Cutter made the, the progress necessary? Have they improved their system well ahead of the norm in their region? for example. So um, there's, you know, part of the reason I'm so fascinated to go and I'm, I'm catching a flight to Doha on Thursday evening. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this all looks like uh, and how this all plays out. And again, there's never been a tournament in such a compact area. There will be four games a day on most days of the group stage, uh, which is the first half of the tournament. And it's possible you could get to two or maybe even three of those games in one day if you wanted to. The, uh, you know, we're talking about a, a very compact area in and around Doha. Uh, where there'll be eight World Cup venues. So um, it could be also a, a, a massive, uh, you know, mess in terms of the density of people that are descending on this country. I mean, they're already sort of, they're still scrambling. They're still constructing housing for all the fans that are going to be coming to visit. There will be, uh, you know, 200 US a night uh, containers made into apartments, right, for to, to out, out in, in, a, in a sort of a, a field in the desert to, to be, give everybody enough room to, to, uh, to lay their heads. So there's so many different elements to this. And I think um, it will, uh, the way you approach it, I think is maybe a little bit of a, um, of a Rorschach test on how you, how you look at the world as an individual and how you look at the sport and um, the interweaving of politics and, uh, and society and economy uh, and sports is, uh, is always a fascinating place to be. And I think none more so than uh, with the FIFA World Cup. Wow, that sounds fascinating. You are definitely going to a historic event. Um, that is really cool. I, on the soccer side, when did the game start and who are the favorites? So I'll, I'll try not to, um, so uh, knowing that there's different listeners in different time zones, um, in the US, the, the games will be, um, so the opening day is Sunday, I believe. And there's just one game, uh, and that's in the one involving the host country, Qatar, who another huge benefit of getting to host the World Cup is simply the right that you automatically qualify. So this will be Qatar's first participation in the World Cup um, by virtue of being the host nation. So that in of itself, some would say, is, is a huge uh, bonus to, to getting to host this event. Um, so they will be front and center uh, on opening day, the 20th of November. Uh, and then the United States will have its first match the next day on the 21st uh, against Wales. Uh, so that will be a, a, a big event here on these shores. And then in general, you'll have games that will be, uh, the, the four games will be spread out through the afternoon and uh, evening with the final kickoff actually happening uh, at 10 p.m. local time in Qatar, which is somewhere, I believe, it's around 2 p.m. Eastern time. So, um, so again, starting from uh, November 21st, the second day of, of the tournament, you'll have four group stage matches per day. Um, and each team will play three matches. And then the top half uh, in terms of standings uh, in the group stage, the top two finishers in each group will advance to the 16-team uh, knockout phase, which starts, uh, I believe, December 3rd is the first day of the round of 16. And so that's when the sort of final chase uh, for, the, uh, for the trophy begins in earnest. And, uh, and then everything sort of builds up to, to a mid-December climax where I think we'll, here in, the, in, the, in North America, we'll be uh, getting into our Christmas season um, just as we, uh, as we re reach the peak of the World Cup. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. And you mentioned the U.S. Um, is playing Wales. It's also, I believe, 
playing um, England and Iran. How England on Black Friday, actually, which I oh. think will be uh, probably the most uh, anticipated game, uh, again, in North America. I should also point out that uh, Mexico and Canada, Canada for the first time in several decades, have qualified for this event. So they, are, they also have their own three group stage matches. Um, uh, all three are seen as um, contenders, though not locks, to advance to the knockout stage. Um, and then once you get into the knockout stages, it's you know very much um, a lot of uh, luck and chance in terms of the luck of the draw and the bracket, and then whether you can uh, you know keep st stacking together results and finding ways not to lose. So the the drama really uh, really picks up, and so then you see the United States will close out the group stage schedule with uh, another I suppose charged event, which is uh, playing the Islamic Republic of Iran who are currently racked by the, um, the women's protests, women's driven protests there, which have cast a big shadow over their tournament, as well as uh, the, all the geopolitical implications uh, whenever US and Iran play. Who actually, this is a, a, a matchup that also happened in the 1998 World Cup in France. So, um, so there'll be a lot of both history and I think um, political intrigue around that match. Yeah, there's so much more than just the game being played on the field. It's amazing. Inevitably, inevitable. <laughs> well, before I let you go with, um, you know, much congratulations, um, what do you think um, will be the lasting legacy of this 2022 uh, World Cup? It's a great question. And I think uh, that is still being written as we speak. Um, we shall see. We'll, you know, when we look back, um, you know, FIFA's World Cup 2018 was in Russia, and it looks a little different today in the light of everything that's happened with the Ukraine invasion and all the other aspects of the Russian geopolitical uh, landscape uh, than it did at the time. And uh, we'll see whether this event uh, redeems Qatar or or proves to be another one of those sort of uncomfortable situations for uh, in a in a an autocratic country. Wow. Well, I wish you well traveling there. It ought to be so exciting. And thank you for taking the time um, to be with us um, before you pack up and, and get off to the World Cup. So Charles Bone, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Um, if you enjoyed our conversation, please give us a like and subscribe to our channel. Thank, thank you, you so Charles. much for having me. Thank you. See you next time.